Basketball heading to Puerto Rico tomorrow. Little international trip. We'll talk to him about that. Jay Walker in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. Got a lot to get into with him. He'll also induct a new TTT into the Hall of Fame. We got a lot to get into. Fall camp continuing for both UL and LSU. The polls came out yesterday in college football. The polls came out yesterday and, you know, for the first time in a long time, uh, LSU was not preseason ranked. Got a number of people asking me yesterday afternoon, you know, are you surprised by that? What's the deal? Don't you think they should be ranked? This is the first time that they're not ranked to begin a preseason since 2000. I can also tell you the last time LSU entered a season coming off of a losing record with a new head coach was 2000. Now, it didn't take long for LSU to work their way into the top 25. They ended up working their way in a little bit later in the season, ended it with a big win in the Chick-fil-A Bowl against Georgia Tech. Josh Reed went off, and, and they, you know, they were starting to build something other than Nick Saban. Does anyone, you know, LSU fans remember, oh, you know, we weren't ranked to start the 2000 season. Preseason rankings, the truth is LSU will probably, if they, if they beat Florida State, who's probably not good this year, and win, you know, start 3-0 and with a, a schedule that in the first three games isn't in anything crazy, they'll be ranked in the top 25. Probably a lot of that will be based on name alone. There'll be some other 3-0 and teams that won't get in. So I was not surprised. I was not expecting them to be ranked in the top 25. I don't even really think it's much of a story, to be honest with you. And then the teams at the top is not a surprise either. Honestly, you know, it came out, Bama 1, Ohio State 2, Georgia 3, Clemson 4. Is that a surprise? They've won 20. Those four teams won 21 of the last 24 college football playoff games. They've won seven of the last eight titles, with the exception being You know, the all-time great LSU team and Joe Burrow in 2019. So that was really not a surprise either. I've heard for years folks say, yeah, you need to do away with the preseason poll. It's just, you can't really measure a team. It's based on who they have coming back and what they did last year. And every season is different. And let me tell you something. College football is never going to wait until week three or four to rank teams. There is always going to be teams that are underranked. There are always going to be teams that are overranked, and it will potentially impact the season because if you're a team that's underranked and you run the table and you don't lose any games, you might be on the outside looking in of a college football playoff because the four teams ahead of you started ahead of you in the regular season, and they had a really strong year, and they happen to have some cachet with the name. So it matters in some cases by the end of the year, and certainly it matters in regards to perception. Does it matter as much as most will have you believe? Eh, I don't think so. Play the games. Figure it out. Improve. Get up there. But here's the one part of the USA Today coaches poll. And both poll, AP and USA Today. But it was the coaches poll where I had to do a double take. Where I had to say, 
I, I, I really, I had to look at it a number of times because I'm sitting there. I'm like, this, this has got to be a misprint, right? I checked it again. Checked it again. No, this, this looks. I guess looks like this is legit. So when you look at the top twenty-five poll and you see at the very top, you will see some teams that have the parentheses and a number next to them based on the number of first place votes they get, right? And I guess the AP poll maybe hasn't officially been released yet. It was it was who was it? Um I think I was reading one of the guys release what their top twenty five votes were going to be. But the coaches poll. Okay. I think it was Brett McMurphy did that. But the coaches poll. So you see Alabama, they're ranked number one. They got 54 first-place votes. You see Ohio State, number two, they got five first-place votes. You see Georgia, number three overall, they got six number one overall first-place votes. And uh, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, okay, that's 64, but there are 65 first-place votes. There are 65 coaches that have a vote in the coaches' poll. And I'm scrolling down, and I get to number 18. And I see who's ranked 18th. Well, that'd probably be, based on expectations, the most disappointing team in college football, the Texas Longhorns. The Texas Longhorns and their obscene athletic budget who didn't have a single player drafted in the NFL draft last year. And I see next to them, parentheses, one. One of the 66 head coaches who has a vote in the preseason coaches poll voted Texas number one in the country. Texas, that finished five and seven last year. Texas, that lost to Kansas last year at home in Austin. Texas. We'll start a quarterback who's never thrown a pass in a college football game. Texas, who gave up over 31 points a game last year. It's Texas, as my friend Jay Walker loves to yell. Got a number one overall vote. By the way, their head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, doesn't have a vote in the polls. So it's not, oh, Scott, obviously it was just, it was old Steve voting for himself. Believes in his team. Ballots are secret until the final rankings the final rankings at the end of the year you get to see who voted for who and at that point no one's paying attention because you already know who won the national championship i suppose you're paying attention to where your favorite team will finish in the final polls if they happen to be a top 25 team i know ul fans were hoping for something higher than 16 at the end of last year's poll considering they had the longest win streak in the country but the point is do you remember georgia finished first okay what about after that anybody remember that anybody other than the team you root for. Do you remember anything about last year's poll or who voted? My point is, right, we're never going to know who did this unless they admit it. But who in the heck is going to rank Texas number one? You think they're better than Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia coming into this season? By the way, we talk about you know LSU not being ranked in the top 25 poll for the first time since the beginning of the 2000 season. They did receive some votes. I think they would be ranked technically 30th if they if it was a top 30. 
But I talked about the name and the cachet being able to keep you close to a top 25. Teams like Tennessee or Penn State, they're just outside of it, BYU. I mean, having Texas 18th overall is, is, is crazy to me. Crazy is a strong word. It's erroneous. You know, they should probably be just on the outside of the top 25, maybe just inside of it, whatever. Now, I don't know. Maybe this is just a coach that's just trolling everybody. Does Mike Leach have a coach? He seems like, even though he's, you know, at Mississippi State, does he have a vote? He seems like somebody that would just do something like this. Just Was it Nick Saban? Because Alabama visits Austin the second week of the season, and, you know, he doesn't want anybody thinking about rat poison or anything like that. He wants to make sure that everybody's taking their opponents serious, right? Can't look past them. Texas opens up the season, by the way, against ULM. But then they host Alabama and like, a, I think, an 11 a.m. kickoff on September 10th. That maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe it was Nick Saban. Hey, you know, UTSA, Jeff Taylor. He used to coach at Texas. Maybe he's just saying, hey, those are my friends. I doubt it. Give me a break. Who did this? Who will look at Texas in 2022 before the season starts and say, number one overall? An actual head coach did that, which is a reminder that the rankings and the polls are completely flawed and the preseason poll is stupid, but it will always be here. The NCAA, television, they love the idea of having that number next to it. They can beef up big matchups. Remember when Nebraska just snuck into the top 25 at 25th overall just before they were playing Ohio State because, oh, they've won a couple of games. Things are turning around. They had no business being ranked, and college game day went out there, and then Ohio State just obliterated them. But guess what? Got a lot of hype going into it. Number next to it. Rankings should be earned. That's why they shouldn't have a poll until week four, but it's just not how they do it. And one coach out there who isn't Steve Sarkeesian voted Texas number one overall. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints joins me next. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather, and joining me now is the host of the Locked On Saints podcast. Writes for the Saints Wire as a vote for the Pro Football. Oh, he's a Pro Football Writers Association member. And uh, just, if I do say so myself, a very, very... Nice guy who's great at his job. Ross Jackson joins us now. Good morning, Ross. How are you, man? Hey, buddy. Good morning. Look, I got to tell you, I love having a, I love having like a little bit of a business card here. You know, business pamphlet, as I usually call it, in terms of things. But really, really nice guy is always going to be the one that's number one and top priority on my list. Thanks so much, man. Glad to be here with you. You got it, man. You know what? Just 
you work hard, you be nice to people. Karma's karma's a real thing, right? You know, it it, it what right. goes around comes around, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Saints' karma's like this season because last year, with all the injuries, with the carousel of quarterback, with COVID, it was um, you know, it, it was it was a wild year, and yet they still managed to finish mm-hmm. with a winning record somehow. Going into this season, there is some, you know, you ask someone nationally that follows the team a little bit. It seems like for many, and if you look at betting lines, the perception is yeah, maybe eight wins, maybe nine. Locally, there seems to be a, a little bit more uh, of an expectation, right, to surpass last year mm-hmm. based on some of the additions. And I know Sean Payton's gone, but, you know, let's just kick it off with that, Ross. What do you think a realistic expectation is for the Saints this season? I think it's realistic to expect this team to be a 10 or 11 win team. I mean, right there, along with what you mentioned, better than last year. I mean, this team finished 9 and 8 last year with 58 different starters, with you know four different quarterbacks, with four different kickers, none of which were the actual kicker that they expected to have. I mean, having Will Lutz the entire 2021 season would have resulted in very likely one or two more wins. You think specifically to that Tennessee Titans game where they – ended up you know, not feeling comfortable enough going for extra points, so they ended up going for two, and it put them in a situation to where they had to go for two tie at the end of the game, whereas had they made those other two extra points, they would have been kicking an extra point to win the game or to take the lead for the game. Uh, you look at the Atlanta Falcons' loss, that was another one. So I think that that's a big piece, just having Will Lutz back that ends up getting you another one or two wins, not to mention you've got Michael Thomas back and all of that as well that ends up happening, you know, ends up benefiting your, your offense massively. And I, I know that the reason why people outside of New Orleans tend to be kind of lukewarm on, on the Saints is they, they kind of go that route of, well, we don't really know what to do with them because of Sean Payton, because of the, the change at quarterback, things like that. But I think that 14-3 and three, 14 to three touchdown to interception ratio that Jameis Winston showed you last year was not a fluke. I think that this team, in terms of its its leadership on all levels of the defense, its leadership on all levels of the offense, has the players, the veteran players, the experienced players, the leadership that they need on that team to be able to, regardless of who's the coach, still be able to produce. But I also think Dennis Allen is going to surprise people and be a better coach than he was in um, Oakland uh, with the amount of experience that he has and now the roster that he has that he's been building sort of in his vision since 2015 or so. So uh, I think it's reasonable to expect this team to be a 10-win, 10-plus win team, a double-digit win team, uh, as opposed to the usual lukewarmness of an 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight prediction that you will get elsewhere. You mentioned Jameis Winston. Yesterday he left practice. Uh, Dennis Allen described it as a tweak. Jane Slater said that he said he rolled his ankles. Someone else said, no, it was a foot injury. What What is the latest? What can you tell us, at least, what you've heard about Jameis Winston's status? Yeah, look, uh, he, he went through and get evaluated after he left, whatever happened in terms of the ankle and or foot injury, which for me are, are kind of the same thing. Um, anyway, he it happened during seven-on-sevens. Seven-on-sevens happened, and then special teams drills happened, and then he went out there for another team drill before he was eventually not out there. Saints did three team drills yesterday. He took part in the first one, and then we just didn't see him for the second or third. So I think, you know, you consider what it was that they were doing for that day. A part of it was uh, going back into some red zone drills, but then also running a two-minute simulation. If he was dealing with any kind of foot injury that they just wanted to make sure it wasn't going to get worse, you don't want him to run that two-minute simulation. 
and that makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, it doesn't seem like, like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of concern around all of it. I, I can't say that, you know, he's going to be fine or that he's not going to miss any time or anything like that. Like, this is your starting quarterback. This is QB1 for your team. You've been building this offense around him uh, over the course of the offseason. So I think that you you play it cautious. You make sure that he has the time that he needs. He's probably not playing this Saturday anyway up against the Houston Texans, the first preseason game. That feels like that was going to be all Andy Dalton and Ian Book anyway. So no need to rush him back. Just be cautious with it. Does it feel like there's a lot of panic or a lot of, or you know, a massive amount of concern? But you know, look, foot injuries, ankle injuries, as we've seen even just as recent as Michael Thomas, they can go a bunch of different directions. You know, last year we saw Carson Wentz sprain both ankles and play every single game last season. So these can go any, any, and all ways. Uh, and the only thing we can do right now is kind of wait it out and see. But it sounds like the latest is that. It was some type of a foot injury, a tweak, a rolled ankle of some sort that ended up leading to some pain for him, and then he ended up leaving the field, getting evaluated, and then we'll see if we get more details today. Maybe he won't be out there today. I would be surprised if he was, even if he is perfectly healthy, just to be safe for this team. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we find out when we get to practice today. Ross Jackson, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, the first depth chart came out yesterday for the Saints, and... You know, there's a lot of – you see Chris Olave ranked as the third team, but he's been going with the ones in camp. Um, if you look back at the first depth charts from a number of uh, prior training camps, you can kind of – not that anyone does that, Ross, but you can go back and be like, oh, yeah, look at that. That's funny. Oh, that's interesting how they did that. Oh, what would, uh, the, you try to guard against overreacting to anything. So with that said, I'll go ahead and ask you, what was there anything about it that surprised you? Um, I, I think maybe that one, I, like, look, you usually take your rookies and kind of push them towards the back in these things and then your veterans that have been out there, you know, as a part of, you know, your team for a while. Those are usually the, the guys that end up in the front. I mean, for instance, like another example of that, like you just described with, with Chris Olave, um, Lyndon Young has been taking most first team right tackle snaps all throughout training camp so far. Uh, as they're sort of making sure that they're keeping Ryan Ramchick comfortable in his ramp up, yet Ryan Ramchick is listed as a starter because he's your projected starter moving forward. And so you always push these kind of younger guys towards the back of it. So just another example of the the opposite way that that goes. Uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram are listed as your your top running backs. You won't see that once Saturday very likely. Uh, but what was interesting for me was seeing sort of. Mark Ingram and Divine Zigbo, both kind of on that second team when it comes to uh, running back, then followed up by Dwayne Washington and Malcolm Brown. And then Tony Jones Jr., who's the guy that, you know, they moved on from Latavius Murray for last year, that they, you know, wanted to make sure that they maintained last year going into the regular season. He was now pushed all the way back to a fourth team reserve along with Abram Smith. And Abram Smith makes sense back there. He hasn't really broken beyond. Uh, third team snaps throughout training camp thus far. He's he's had them here and there, you know, in this with the second team. But for the most part, he's kind of getting the last two third string snaps right now. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting because I've been saying from the very beginning of camp so far that the standout running back, but not named Alvin Kamara or Mark Ingram so far for me has been divided. as going. It looks like the New Orleans Saints feel similarly uh, there as well. The other piece that's interesting is looking over at the defensive side, and you get a look at the. Um, the defensive tackles, which has kind of been a big question mark coming into this year. And then, so who's going to be that guy next to David Onyemata? And it looks like Shai Tuttle has been um, kind of still that guy. But I'm, I'm looking at guys like Contavious Street and uh, Albert Huggins, who have gotten a lot of snaps in practice. Also very interesting to see um, 
uh, Carl Grandison up ahead of Peyton Turner, who's had a really, really fantastic camp so far. But Carl Grandison's had a really nice camp, too. So I think the, the shakeup in the trenches is one that's been really interesting as well. But everything else in terms of safeties as well as um, as linebackers is pretty standard. Interesting seeing Marcus Malis at his strong safety with Tyron Matthews at his free safety. I kind of expected it to be the other way around. So Tyron Matthew would be your your box guy, and Marcus may be the guy furthest from the line of scrimmage. But hey, if you want kind of the bigger body in the box, then you want Marcus May there, and that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it seem like as well, Ross, with uh, you know Dennis Allen, not just a head coach, but a guy that's cut his teeth coaching DBs. I mean, he mixes and matches so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of look at at the, the defensive backfield as. Okay, here are your four li- starters listed in a standard four-three defense, but that's that's not how. Certainly, from a secondary standpoint, that's not at all how Dennis Allen's going to utilize that on game day. Maybe not this Saturday in a preseason game, but when we get to the regular season. Yeah, right. Like this Saturday, you're going to see a lot of the vanilla defenses and things like that, as we like to call them. But you know, even yesterday when we were watching the run two-minute drills. Tyron Matthew, I don't think I can be very specific about usage, but I'll tell you, like, Tyron Matthew is used a lot closer to the line of scrimmage in that situation than he has been throughout practice, right? So he becomes an additional pressure player all of a sudden in certain game situations. And so game situations, down distance, all those things will factor in. And you can say the same thing about the defensive line as well. You know, Ryan Nielsen told us the other day that there hasn't been a defensive line depth chart in the defensive line room since he joined in 2017. And, of course, that doesn't mean that they don't have starters. Of course, they have designated starters. But where they go from there in terms of the next rotation or the rotation cadence changes based upon down-distance game situation, um, you know, game plan, uh, mismatches, your, your what scheme you're going up against, all of that. So you won't see the same cadence of rotations to where it's these four for the first three plays and then these four for the first three for the next three plays and these four for the third three plays. You're not going to see that weeks one through 17. That second rotation, that third rotation is going to change. And sometimes that starting lineup is going to change uh, as well. So, you know, I, I would say that's true not only of the uh, defensive backfield, but also the defensive line for sure. Ross Jackson, our guest, the host of the Locked on Saints podcast. You can check out some of his writings for the Saints Wire and a lot of places you can see Ross's content. At Ross Jackson Nola, that is the Twitter handle. You can follow him there as well. Be one of his uh, over 11,600 followers. He's done a great job covering the team here. Let me ask you this, Ross. If if you were to, well, I'm not going to ask you if you were to. I'm just going to ask you to. Tell the uh-huh. listeners who are Saints fans, what is, a, what is the most healthy approach to consuming a preseason football game? <laughs> um, uh, that's a great question. For me, it's root for everybody on the field. These are guys that are going into their first ever, in some cases, going into their first ever NFL action, in other cases are solidified, or in other cases are, have been trying to catch on in the NFL for at least a year, some for some time. Everyone has something to gain from a preseason game in that it could potentially solidify their dreams, their future as an NFL star, an NFL player. Um, you know, you've got 53 players in a 16-man practice squad across 32 players. So you've got just over 2,000 opportunities um, in terms of people in this entire world that get to play this game at the highest level at some level. And so when you watch a preseason game, it's not entirely necessary to root for your team to win because the record doesn't matter, things like that. What you're really rooting for is A, health, 
and B, those individual players to come out of the other side of this with a real opportunity either with the team that they're playing for or another team with one of the other 31 teams with the tape that they put up during preseason. So there's lots of good things to take from uh, what we see in the preseason from an individual player standpoint. I, that, that's, I'm, that's a good way to do it. I, I watch it the wrong way, I guess. It, it's, I'm kind of watching it like as if it's a horror movie that I hope never pays off in any way possible. You know, like <laughs> your, your typical teen is in the kitchen and, you know, she's on a phone and maybe it's, you know, a handheld and not a cellular, depending on whatever the movie came out. And then she opens the fridge and, oh, whatever, Diana, da 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 And then when she closes the fridge, you're expecting to see, you know, the killer behind the door. And I, I watch with this, any time a player goes down, I just get really nervous. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. Michael Thomas isn't going to play Saturday. But at some point, right. if he plays, say, in the third preseason game, the first contact he takes, I'm just going to be like, oh, God. You know, I mean, Jameis Winston with a tweaked foot or ankle or whatever, when he first takes that first hit, whatever it might be, anytime any key player gets, and my hope is that it's just, you know, not a horror movie. It's just nothing ever happens, and it's just, you know, she's just on the phone in the kitchen, just a regular night, nothing nothing bad, just get a drink out the fridge. That's I, I need to. I need, what I need to do is just refocus in a different area, like you said, and not get so stressed. Because I, I find it. I don't look. I don't watch preseason outside of the Saints games because um, I, I just I find it boring. It's, mm-hmm. it, I find it to a tease. I follow the Saints because I cover the team, and you know I, I do get interested in the training camp battles and the guys fighting to make a spot and you know the little bit of tidbits you can pick up pick up on in the preseason. But um, I think I, I think I'm just going about it wrong. So I, I, I appreciate your answer and how folks should maybe consume a preseason game. Yeah, you're kind of waiting for you. You said that that horror movie to pay off. It's it's it's. I know what you did last summer, but the end is you had a good time at summer camp, and, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's what you're looking for. And I think the other thing that I would mention too is um, it's it's a good opportunity to learn. Like if you haven't really dove into uh, the the detail, not the details, but the, the play of special teams, it's a really good opportunity to learn a little bit more about special teams because a lot of the the best moments in the preseason, believe it or not, come from special teams units, particularly kick and punt coverages. And a part of that is because that ends up being the most direct route for some of these players to go from the 85th guy on the roster to the top 53 and, and making a roster spot. And, and so, you know, you watch them play those positions. You watch them play that with an entirely different intensity than you would usually see during like the regular season and stuff like that. Cause these guys are literally playing, special teams for their careers. And so you just see a different level of intensity coming from special teams units there. So it's a really good time. If you've ever wondered why, wondered why there are weird people like me, like me out there who get excited about special teams, preseason will give you a pretty good reason. Well, and I think as it pertains to the Saints, you know, you mentioned earlier, Will Lutz, that's kind of what I've been hitting on as far as mm-hmm. why I think the Saints take a step forward. I was surprised for me. Look, I know a betting. I know from from a betting standpoint, betting lines are just put into place based on what the books think. You know, uh, betters will do. So it's not always a reflection of oh, this team is going to be good or bad. But you can still read into it, right? If enough people are going a certain way, I think it tells you a lot about okay, what's the national perception, and then how is the money going in this direction? And the fact that you know a year ago the Saints Super Bowl odds were. You know, not I think they were thirty-two to one, maybe thirty to one at this point in time, 
and and, and mm-hmm. this year they're forty to one. And I'm like, I, is it just Sean Payton? Because I'm looking up and down yeah. the roster. I'm like, your 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 receiving core, which was not good last year, is um, is so much deeper. You know, you've and the defense is really good. And from a special team standpoint, Russ, aside from the kicker, and it was a big big part of last season because Will Lutz didn't play. He was hurt. But if you looked at all the areas of special teams last year, and you would know better than me because you watched the film, but it was solid. I mean, for years, the Saints didn't invest in special teams. And then in 2017, they really started to put an emphasis mm-hmm. on it. And it's been it's been great. They've had all pro, multiple all pros on special teams. And so when you have good special teams, and I think with Will Lutz back, I think the Saints special teams will be one of the best ones in the league. And when you have a really solid defense – you know, offensively, just don't be dead last in passing attack. Just you know, don't 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 play four different quarterbacks in a season if you can help it, right? Just you know, right. have have realistic health. Guys are going to miss games. It's the NFL, but have a a realistic season. The Saints made changes to that staff and the training staff, and there were some issues last year. I'm like, listen, I don't think the Saints. I'm not predicting the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl, but it seems like the odds should be better this year than they were a year ago at this time and that i i you said it special teams it's it doesn't get enough love but it's a big reason why i feel that way yeah absolutely and you look at last year i mean this was a team that you know was in the top five in terms of punting attempts and some of that has to do with the the offensive inefficiency that they had or the offensive uh sort of issues that they had on third down in particular. They were not a great third down team they were toward the bottom three they were 30th in the nfl in third down percentage somewhere down there um, and so that's a, a, an immediate situation to where, you know, just like you're saying, like the offense impacts special teams and then special teams impact the offense. And then one of the issues that they had last year, too, is that they didn't really have a consistent presence. You, know, you talk about those special teamers uh, at Gunner next to J.T. Gray or across from J.T. Gray, rather. And so they were you know, up toward the top as well in terms of um, in terms of punts allowed. They weren't forcing fair catches. And also punt return, or excuse me, uh, punt return yardage allowed per return uh, was another big issue for them. And that was because they kind of had our, you know, you want to talk about injuries, you know, we talk about how the injuries uh, set in. The special teams unit was impacted by that too. You had a rotation of guys that all of a sudden weren't available. You know, Ty Montgomery was your go-to gunner opposite uh, JT Gray. He dealt with injury throughout the season. At one point, you had Jeff Heath playing gunner for you. And if that's happening, then you're, you're you know, you, you have reason to expect that you're not necessarily you know, at your healthiest. And so the Saints finding that, you know, a consistent presence and somebody that can produce at, you know, you're looking for another Justin Hardy. You're looking for another yeah. Chris Banjo. You're looking for one of those guys to be that, you know, partner, that Robin to JT's Batman. And if you find that guy, which are, are some really, really good options, I think the third day of camp they rotated, I counted 18 different players, not including JT Gray giving reps there. Uh, so they're really, really, you know, looking for that guy. They're looking for the up man. They're looking for all these guys that are going to be able to contribute there and then be able to produce uh, a better product on special teams because they believe that it's a third element of the game that will help them, that can help them win. And, you know, we're used to the Saints being top five, both in terms of average drive starting position for themselves and also the average drive starting position that they force for opposing teams. Last year it was a little bit different in the ladder, so they'd like to climb back up there. Good stuff. Ross Jackson breaking it all down. Ross, how can folks listening get your content? Well, you can find the Locked on Saints podcast every Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and on YouTube. 
as well. Uh, and of course, you can keep up with all the written work at um, over at thinkswire.usatoday.com. And of course, you can find all of it. The easiest way is to just follow me on Twitter. Honestly, that way you see everything. There it uh, is. And that's at Ross Jackson Nola N O L A on Twitter. And uh, you know, five days a week, guys. Right? It's a, it's a daily podcast. It's not every now and then or here. He is uh, he is on the right. grind. He is getting it done. Man, before we let you run, a non-football question. I uh, I learned mm-hmm. a little bit about you when you went on uh, Chris Connor's first podcast for Spaces, and Chris is someone that mm-hmm. you know I've had on the show for for a number of years, and I just I just I love Chris. So, um, yeah, he's awesome. your uh, your background in theater prior to mm-hmm. joining, you know, I I I love theater. I was kind of a theater kid growing up. You know, mm-hmm. what is what's what's your favorite production you've ever gotten to be a part of and why so i got to do um i i really kind of have two because there's one that's like the one that i'm most proud of and there's another one that i just love um so the one that i'm most proud of is that i i worked on uh wicked on broadway for a while um so that's probably the show that i i will usually bring up i got, I got to do three broadway productions which were wicked um uh, book of mormon and uh, Peter and the Starcatcher, and so I love being, but Wicked in particular, I love. And Wicked, being like, a part of it, it. like ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years ago, it was like the Broadway musical. Yeah, it was the top yeah. of the line. I mean, I saw it a number of times. It's great. I mean, I love. The, who doesn't love the music from Wicked? All right, I uh, I celebrated their twelve twelfth year anniversary on Broadway uh, with them, so that was really cool to be able to be a part of that. But but my favorite show, the one that kind of like paid the heart as opposed to just the, the bank account uh, was uh, a show called Nickel Mines, which a friend of mine wrote, directed, created. We developed it. Well, I went to grad school at UC Irvine. We developed it there. We took it to New York. We took it to, um, we took it to Connecticut for a little while. I mean, it, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful musical that follows this really tragic story, but tells the story of like community forgiving and things like that. Really amazing music and everything. Um, his name is Andrew Palermo. He actually, was in Wicked for a while, um, and has done some really phenomenal work. So um, that was a that was probably my favorite one that I've gotten to be a part of. No one mourns the Wicked. Great stuff, Ross. Man, <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate it, dude. I feel like maybe you and I should have more conversations off the air about theater stuff someday. But in the meantime, oh, it's now all. That I know that you're a theater kid. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> it's all. It's all. It's all saints on these airwaves. I say that. I'm lying. Every now and then, I'm going to ask him stuff like that. <laughs> Appreciate the time, man. Continued success. And everybody, if you're not already, go follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola and then get links to all of his great content there. He is on top of it, covering the Saints daily over there in New Orleans. Appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure to be with you, man. Uh, Be safe. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Ross Jackson, one of the nicest guys in the business, one of the hardest workers in the business, man. Got a lot of respect for that guy and, uh, you know, the work he's put in to his craft and his quick ascent in, uh, in this business. A lot of respect for us. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to shift gears. Every four years, college basketball teams can take a trip to another country. They get 10 additional practices. They get to play competition in the other country. Cajuns have done it for years. They have talked glowingly about its impact on the team, its benefit for the players. And tomorrow they're getting ready to head to Puerto Rico where they're going to play three games in six days and do all kind of different stuff. And they've been practicing. And Coach Bob Marlin's going to talk to us about it next right here on The Great Scott Show, CSPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. 
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports, coming at you on a Tuesday morning. Joining us now, as promised, the head basketball coach for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns basketball team, Coach Bob Marlin. The Raging Cajuns are scheduled third time in school history for a summer trip to a different country. They did Spain in 2013. I remember them going to Cuba in 2017. And now they'll be heading to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico to talk to us about that and um, just how the roster is shaping up is head coach Bob Marlin. Good morning, coach. How uh, how you doing? You guys, you guys ready to roll here? Ready to get on the plane and go play some hoops? Yeah, we've got two more days of practice. We'll leave tomorrow afternoon, but we're we're excited, Scott. It's a great opportunity for a young man. You know, for for teams getting to see other parts of the world, experience another culture, play games, that's that part of it it kind of is understood. Like what a great opportunity. As a coach, that extra time you get with them, how if if you could quantify how important that is for you and your staff getting those 10 practice days and, and all of that extra time as a team? It's been uh, super ben- beneficial, and we've taken uh, the, the best advantage of it that we could. We had a tremendous summer. Guys have worked really hard. The, the extra 10 days are just icing on the cake because we've been practicing since last Monday, and there aren't many teams in practice in the country that can say that. So opportunity to get better each day we have. We've had some very physical practices. Uh, the competition's been outstanding. And uh, as I said, two more left to go. And it, it's going to help us in the long run, Scott. It'll help us. And once we get down there, we're going to be able to bond even more as a team and, and spend time together, quality time, seeing the culture, seeing the, the city, the country. Um, so it, it's a win-win. When you fa- like you're facing three all-star teams uh, at Mario Morales Coliseum, do you know much more beyond that? Like, what what is typically an all-star team from another country? What kind of challenges? What kind of competition does that provide? Well, it depends the country. Basketball in Puerto Rico is very strong. It always has been. If you remember back to the uh, Olympics in, in the seventies, I believe. Uh, you had Butch Lee, who played in Marquette and was a tremendous player leading the Puerto Rican national team. But uh, the, the all-stars that we'll play against should be good opponents. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to playing. The, the gentleman who put the trip together said when we first signed on to expect to win one game, maybe lose two. So it's going to be competition, and that's what we want. It, obviously, you want to win games, but is your approach to games like this different in that, look, it's 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 not in the standings, it's not a regular season game, it's not a conference game. You approach it a little different, you know, in terms of your rotation and trying to make sure every guy gets to play. And, and you know, what, what, how does your approach, I guess, let me shorten the question, how does the approach differ uh, for a game, oh, you know, in Puerto Rico against these teams compared to that of a regular season matchup?
during NCAA play. So it'll be a, a little bit different from that aspect. But we'll go in each game like we always do, trying to win and compete. But we want to play a certain way, Scott. And we talk about it doesn't matter what's the score, who's in the game, how much time is left. We want to play a certain way. And we did that at times last year, and we've got to be more consistent in that area. So from that standpoint, there'll be a lot of expectations. There'll be different lineups started each day, each half. You know, we'll mix that up a little bit and use that as a chance to to firm up our rotation. Uh, And we'll be able to see what some of the new guys can do under the lights. Speaking of the new guys, I want you to hit on each one, if you don't mind. Uh, Themis Falks, Chancellor White, Vinny Zagonia, uh, Kyron Ratliff. Uh, let's start with Falks. What, um, you know, what does he bring to the table in your mind, and, and what do you want to see out of him this week? Themis is a leader. He's a winner. Uh, had a great career. Uh, his first couple years in college, made the All-MEAC team in South Carolina State as a freshman. Uh, and then transferred to Dodge City, Kansas, where he led the team the best record in 25 years. Uh, they were 30-5 and five and got beat in the national uh, tournament. Uh, Themis is a, a guy that can get to the basket. Uh, he was a regional MVP, regional tournament MVP in Kansas, and as I said, led his team to, to Hutch and then wound up making second team All-American. So He's a point guard that can get to the paint. I think he was 11th in the country last year, free throws attempted in junior college basketball. And uh, so he's putting pressure on, on the other team. You know, your other guys are, are coming out of high school. Chancellor White out of uh, Foster High in Richmond. Um, you know, I I see a, a, a tall young man. You know, I think he's, what, 6'6", 185, 190, but... You know, McDonald's All-American nominee, impressed with, with everything I, I've seen about him out of high school. What, what has impressed you from him thus far? Well, he's a great young man, and certainly uh, we knew that he was a very good player. And, and Houston, one of the top three or four players in the city of Houston, his junior senior year. We knew his dad. I'd coached his dad at Sam Houston. That was crucial in our recruitment uh, of Chancellor. But athletically, he's come in and done a good job. He's gained some weight and strength. Uh, He's improved his shot. And uh, very good athlete, can score, can drive it, can shoot it from the perimeter. And I've been really pleased with him. He got better in June. He got better in July. And I I would expect to get better on this trip. Is that – how many times does that happen in your career, Coach? I mean, obviously, the longer you coach, the longer you're in the business, I guess it's – there's there's more op- chances for it to happen. But having coached his father Frank at Sam Houston back in the in the '90s, how many times have you in your career coached a father, and then years later coached that player's son? Um, just just a couple times. This is the first one, and and actually we're recruiting another one that uh, I coached at Pensacola Junior College, and uh, he's his son is one of the best players in the state of Alabama, and we're. we're chasing him as well. It's going to be a little bit more of an uphill swing to beat the high majors on this one. Uh, but it says that you've been around for a while and that you have impacted some young men. And uh, But it's quite the relationship. I really like it. Vinny Sigonia, uh out of Prestonwood Christian Academy, also out of Texas. Um, what, what can you tell us about this young man? 
I've watched Vinny for, for years. Uh, his dad's a college coach, and we're friends. I have watched him get better, compete at a high level. He was hurt his junior year and didn't go on the travel circuit that summer, and uh, a lot of people didn't get to see him. And we jumped in and were able to get him signed. The thing that I like about Vinny is that he can really shoot the basketball. Um, he's somewhat similar to Ken Trail in that fact, is that he can make a shot from deep off the move, and he, he's done it consistently. And he's really shot it good. He shot it really good yesterday in practice. He shot it in competition um, when we scrimmaged. And I think scoring's the biggest thing with him. He's, he's small. He's got to get uh, a little bit stronger. And he's had a good summer, too. I've really been pleased with Ben. He's got good quickness and a, a great teammate. Lastly, Kyron Ratliff, young man uh, out of Booker T. Washington in New Orleans. Kyron came in just last week, Scott, and they reclassified. He's a guy that we'd recruited a couple of years ago, and he wound up uh, reclassing at 23, and everyone thought he was going uh, back to school and going to come out next year. And then this in June, we, we got word that he was going to reclassify. And so we made sure that we attended his games this summer, watched him play and compete at a high level. And then we were able to secure the first visit when the live period was over at the end of July. And he canceled his other remaining visits after coming with us. And a week later, he's in school, got his physical exam, and uh, will be on the trip with us. So, Cowan's about 6'8", 200, uh, 201 is what we'd list him at. He's got to get stronger like a lot of guys. but he, he's athletic, can watch shots, protect the rim, run the floor, can make a three. He can do some different things. And I, I told our staff, I feel that Kyrie can have a, a Bryce Washington type of career here if he's a four-year player. I really like his upside. Another great young man. Bob Marlin has been our guest, Louisiana Raging Cajun Basketball, getting in extra work on the court heading to Puerto Rico. Uh, They leave tomorrow afternoon. They'll be there from August 11th to the 16th, three games in six days. And uh, last question, Coach, other than the basketball side of it, what are you looking most forward to about this trip? Chance to grow. Um, Guys to get out and see a part of the world they haven't seen. Some may not get to go back. Uh, but the bonding, the, the dinners that we'll have and the conversation we'll have, we do an exercise on every one of these trips. Uh, when we go, we save it for the, the trip and feel like that would be huge for us uh, to learn more intimately about each other. Coach, appreciate the time, man. I'd love to talk to you when you guys get back and uh, have you tell us you know, how it all unfolded. I know we'll get some different write-ups, but – it's not like when you play a game of the Cajun Dome. It's a little different when you're playing in Puerto Rico. So uh, look forward to talking to you maybe later on this month and, and, you know, hearing how it all went, man. Best of luck. Thanks, Scott. You got it. That is head coach Bob Marlin of Louisiana Region Cajun Hoops. Jay Walker joining me in studio next. We got top 25 shenanigans. We got, oh, man. A terrible tune Tuesday Hall of Fame induction. It's Hall of Fame weekend in the NF and pro football. Jay's like, I want to, I want to have my own Hall of Fame Tuesday. I said, let's do it. We got a lot to get into. Don't go anywhere. 
CSP and Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Show the eight o'clock hour. It's Tuesday. Sitting across from me, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, not like a a bright, obnoxious Hawaiian shirt. An obnoxious Hawaiian shirt isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you know, more of a more of a low key subtle. Yeah, it's um, it's black and tan. Ma- matches the khaki shorts I'm wearing. Today. Are you just are you kind of becoming a Hawaiian shirt guy? I love Hawaiian shirts. You know, uh, first of all, they're comfortable. Second of all, they're big. And, you know, being a fat guy, it's <laughs> kind of important. Um, but, no, I, I, I like – I got probably six or seven of them. Nice. Now, later today, we'll induct a new song into – well, you will induct a song into the TTT Hall of Fame. Yeah. I just figured with the Hall of Fame this past week and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it just felt like a Hall of Fame. It's a Hall of Fame time right here. Um but I want to start off with some good music because I want to I want to get your thoughts on something that we discussed yesterday, which ended up leading to a conversation that we were actually talking about you for a part of it. We'll get to that in a minute. But the Mets whooping the Braves behinds was a beautiful thing. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I got to watch a good bit of Sunday's game. And DeGrom was perfect through, you know, five and two-third innings. Um and ended up, you know, pitching six. And Edwin Diaz comes out, and they start playing the music. And for some reason, it went viral. Like, non-Mets fans were all like, dude, look at this entrance. Like, this this music for a great closer. And, you know, I brought up yesterday how... And, and what was the music? Do we so, know? Here, let, let's... It's better if you have the visual, but the shot is of him walking out the back and... Remember when Joe Burrow had senior night and that camera followed? Right. So it was following Diaz like that. And it just, there's something about it, man. It just worked. And now the whole crowd is air trumpeting and they're and it's they're able to hum it. No, this is great. It you know. The name of the song is Narco, which we learned by uh, Blaster Jacks and Timmy Trumpet. And it's still only 69 cents on iTunes, but you better hurry because Yeah, the price gonna go up. And then you know it's kind of got a club thing and it just Excuse my French. There's something badass about it when he's walking out. And no, look, no, no. I can see it. And, and, and Tom commented, like, you have to be good. Like, the music. And I said, the great thing about closer music, if you have a really good closer, it's the perfect setup. 
because the fans are already excited because their team's winning. So they're all like in a celebratory mood. And you've got a great closer, so you feel like they're coming in to seal the deal. So it's here. Here's the last thing before we can really just pop the champagne. And while Inner Sandman is... It was perfect for Mariana Rivera. Yeah. I don't think it's the best closer song ever. And the reason is because Inner Sandman is such a popular song. I mean, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Same thing with... Eric Gagne, when he came out to Welcome to the Jungle, I'm not bashing it. It was awesome. I, I liked uh, Ken Lee Jansen, uh, California Love by Tupac, because it just fit. In the city, city I counted. I just, you know, it was just great. There's something about this that now, when you hear it, you just, just think of Edwin Diaz. Yeah. Like... When I hear Inner Sandman, I don't I don't think about Mariana Rivera. Now, if it's a highlight of Rivera, I might think about Inner Sandman. Right. And I think that's why this is like No, that's no, it's this good is stuff. the absolute perfect it's good stuff. thing for a closer. It feels like a wrestler in like the nineties slowly walking into a ring and just taking all in that energy. Well, it's a it's a bullfighter song. It's beautiful. What is like in your estimation, when it comes to live music at a sporting event, whether it's played or whether whether it's played by an instrument or whether it's played over a speaker, what's the one that like you feel like you know what this it, it music at the perfect time can just elevate anything, and it's no different with sports. You know, one one of the things that um, that I have loved since they started doing it is uh, Wisconsin playing jump around at the end of the third quarter and the place just going nuts. Well, the stadium you know? is literally shaking. Yeah. I, you know, stuff like that is really, really cool, I think. You know, now, if you want to talk about a stadium shaking, you know, the Aggie war hymn is about as good as it gets, all right? Because the, the, the press box literally starts moving when they start swaying back and forth. It's just a little scary. A little scary. Um, but, you know, but no, I... Jump around is always the first thing I think of. It's, uh, when, it's I, when I think of college rock, that's the song I think of is Jump Around. And, and, and they kind of made it theirs. Mm-hmm. And it's a cool song. It's not like Sweet Caroline, which somebody was complaining <laughs> about yesterday at Russo Park. And I was like, oh, Jay, Jay went off about that on Terrible Tune Tuesday months back. Um, it's got to be at one got to be at the right moment in time two you need to be good like i feel like for a good closer it's just for the reasons i said it's set up perfectly like if you have a third down hymn that you always play well if your team's not good that year people are going to get sick of hearing it because you're giving up too many third downs yeah now if you have the perfect march band song for stopping a team on third down now it's a little bit different and those are the ones that you know, whether it's a, it's a marching man or played over a speaker. I think pregame songs are great because nothing started yet, so you can't get down if your team's bad. A third down stop, a great closer. There are certain situations, you know, like the Saints playing halftime, or as a lot of people call it crunk. It started in like 08, and it took off because it was after they scored a touchdown, and then suddenly the next year they were in the Super Bowl and they were just scoring a ton and then I was like, when you do that, you got to be careful. So if you're if you're getting your butt whooped and you score a touchdown, you can't play that song. This you is gotta, true. You got to know when to play certain stuff. Um, you know, I think uh, I've always liked LSU's third down stop music. 
The Chinese bandit. Music. Yeah. I, I've, I've always thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it, it's unique and something that's theirs and they're consistent with it. Right. Right. Is, is there somebody I used to think, man, maybe there's there's too many things. Right. But my thing is, if they're working. Like some people are like, oh, LSU, they have the Garth Brooks song and then they have Hold That Tiger. I'm like, if it's working, if it works, it works. If, if you have too much, like the ones that you remember for good reasons, keep it, do it. You know, uh, a lot, you know, some some fan bases will do the. Or or the white stripe songs, the oh oh and when a whole crowd is chanting at the same time, I think the Ravens do that. Guess what? The Ravens have been good for a while. So when they hear that, I imagine everybody in Baltimore gets really jacked up when they hear that song. Sure. What's the most synonymous song with a Cajun sport in your mind? Is it center field or is it is it something else? In well, sport? center field is a baseball only thing. You're not going to hear center field sure. at, at the Cajun Dome. You're not going to hear it at Cajun Field. You know the they don't play respect very often anymore. Da-da-da. But but they still use it as the beginning fanfare of their pregame show for football. So they've kept it alive in that regard. But they played it for so long that I think that that it's. It's still, if you say, tell me a song you associate with the Cajuns, nine out of ten people are going to say respect. Um, I feel like... I, I like the fact they don't play it much anymore. Okay. I also like the fact that they've kept it as the opening fanfare. When did they... St- I feel like back in like 05, 06, they were still playing it a yeah. good bit. When did they start cutting back? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it, but it was but it was time, okay, to cut back on it and and... and not play it like five and six times a game. Sure, you know, sure. Um, but they have kept it alive with the opening fanfare for the pregame show, which I think is cool. No. You know, the 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 best parts about the about the Cajun pregame show is the opening fanfare, um, dun, um, uh, jambalaya. I, that, that's the best part about the. You know, there you go. You never know when something might just take off. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to, um, or on message boards, seen comments from fans of other schools that have come to Cajun Field and talked about how cool they thought it was that we played Jambalaya before the game, you know? Um, so, yeah. You think the Cajun fans take it for granted sometimes? Oh, I think, you know, I think fans in general take what they do for granted sometimes, you know, because it's there all the time. There's never an oh, wow factor yeah. because it's always there. Yeah. Um, so I think that happens a lot, but when you hear, you know, look, I've never heard a visiting baseball person say anything but wonderful things about center field. Except Luke Johnson. Well, Luke doesn't count. <laughs> I still mess with him. If I'm at a game, I'll, I'll take a video and I'll text it to him. Uh-huh. Be like, not, not for me, Scott. My, Mike Wagenheim, who, um used to do UNO and Nichols. Um, and he actually now is working for the uh, English-speaking news station in Israel. Um, the first time that he was at the Teague, 
and they played center field, he looked at me and he said, this is blasphemy because it wasn't take me out to the ball game. Traditions are cool. I like when new ones get born and develop organically. I think if something is forced, it generally doesn't I don't, work. I don't, I don't think you can force tradition. You just can't. It just it happens on its own. You could try to make something a thing, but it's there's there's got to be that emotional connection from a fan base and that shared emotional experience. And you know, I think it it doesn't just happen like one time. It it builds over time and. And suddenly it's really cool. And then suddenly everybody hears something and think about Edwin Diaz. You think the Braves are thinking about Edwin Diaz? I, th- I think he's living rent-free in their heads right now. Yankees, they're kind of hitting a lull right now. The Yankees have, um, you know, they got off to that ridiculously good start. But since then, they've only been pretty much a 500 team, you know. Um I'm, I'm, there's a lot. Look, I'm sold on, on Stanton and Aaron Judge. I'm sold on LeMahieu, you know, a couple of guys in their lineup. I don't know that, you know, when I look at their pitching staff, I say, okay, what's their answer to Scherzer and DeGrom? And the answer is they ain't got one. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I still think the Yankees are a very good club, but, you know, the Astros are their daddy, or at least they are this year, and you oh, know, and they have been in the playoffs as well. So, um, I'm, I'm, and I'm sure Yankee fans don't want to hear me say that, but but the the facts don't lie. Um, but yeah, they've been, you know, look. All I know is this: Dodgers have won thirty out of thirty-five. They're scoring more runs than anybody else in baseball. They're allowing fewer runs than anybody else in baseball. There's only been one team in the history of the game that ended the season leading baseball in scoring and also leading baseball in ERA. And that was the 1942 New York Yankees. That's been it. Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger, if you add their batting averages together, it's about what Carson Rockefort hit for the Cajuns, are starting to wake up. They both had great weekends against the Padres. If they get hot, be afraid. Because you you got a guy hitting five and six in the lineup batting 170. Cody Bellinger's hitting about 210. But they're in the lineup just about every day. Bell, uh, Bellinger not against lefties. But they just keep scoring runs and they keep on winning, even with holes in their lineup. Major League Baseball's playoffs are going to be fun this year. And if you'd like, I can give you a list of all the Dodgers who have been on the IL this year, and they still are sitting there with 75 wins. So their run differential this year, the Dodgers are at plus 226. Now the Houston Astros, great team. Mm -hmm. Might be in the World Series. Sure. Might win it. They're plus 120. There is a a hundred run differential. Between those two teams. Yeah. That's, and the Astros, I think, are third in the league, by the way, in run differential. The Yankees are second there, plus 206. Mets fourth, plus 115. Plus 226. A hundred more than the Astros, who are 70 and 40, by the way. But the Yankees at 71 and 39. I don't know, the AL, it, 
it seems like in the last week and a half or so, it's kind of... That fight for home field advantage in the American League is going to be one of the things that we're really watching in September. Same thing in the National League, although the Dodgers have a little bit of a, a cushion right now. Um, and I'll tell you the other thing that's very, very important is where you finish in the wild card standings. Because the number three division champion who has to play in the, in the first round against the sixth seed, they're guaranteed to play at home. The four and five seeds, best record plays at home, but it's all three games at home. It's the best two out of three, but if you have home field advantage, you don't leave. Really? All the games are at your ballpark. So I think that's uh, that's something to to be following as well. Toronto leading in the wild card spot in the AL. Braves, obviously, in the NL, followed by the Phillies and then the uh, the Padres. So, I, I it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And, yeah, yes, I'm getting more into it this year because the Mets are good. For sure. I wish they would have maybe traded for a reliever. I have some concerns about catcher. But, you know, they got Jacob deGrom at the trade deadline. They just got him back. And yeah. when he's on, he's the best pitcher in baseball. Yep. Um Run production, okay, at times. When you have the arms to compete with anybody, then you're in it. And and I think they've got the starting arms to do it, and they certainly have the closer. But, you know, somebody – who is going to be that great team that just is sure to fall early in the playoffs and just look back at a, at a, at a season with disappointment when they should look back at it of, man, we were great? Because – the the amount of really top heavy teams this postseason, the number suggests it's just gonna happen. Yeah, who's gonna be uh the Seattle Mariners? <laughs> um you know, and and I don't know. Look, in a five game series, and, and I have said this forever, in a five game series, higher seeds are vulnerable. Seven game series, not so much. And in a best of five all you got to do is have a couple bad days, you know, and and suddenly you're at home. And so I don't think anyone is immune, and that includes the Mets and the Dodgers and the Astros and the, and the Yankees. I don't think anybody's immune from that. Anyone could go ahead and and stumble in the um in the first, you know, in their first round because first. because those teams are going to get buys. Um and then there's also the thing of, okay, the other teams had a best of three, and yes, they've used pitching, but they've been out there every day. You know, they've been out playing. Some people think that that's an advantage. And, house, and, they, the whole house money argument, yeah. too. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're playing more loose. You've, you're, you're getting tight. Yep. You've kind of been in this spot, spot for a while. You knew you were going to be in, you, know, you knew you were going to have a buy. I got one more crazy Dodger statistic for you. Their top two starters are a combined 25 and two. Neither one is named Clayton Kershaw or Walker Bueller or Julio Urias. Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin, 25 and 2. Gonsolin, he's, he can roll, man. I, I, I don't, I just don't. And, and look, now, the Dodgers do have an Achilles heel. And it's the back end of the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell's terrible. He's just terrible. Um... 
Now, they're going to get Gratterall back next week. They're finally going to get uh, Blake Trinan. He was on a 60-day DL, hadn't pitched this year. They're about to get him back. That's going to help. But, you know, they ain't no Edwin Diaz music playing when Kimbrell comes in the game because he's just got awful. <laughs> what, 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 what terrible tune would you play for, for Kimbrell walking out? I I don't know. CeeLo Green. Forget you, boom, but, boom, but the boom. other. Now let me hear you say, way ho. Way no, is what Jay's trying to say. Yeah, way no. Yeah. I, I just know, man. He's he's terrible. But thank God when he comes in a lot of times for a save, they've got like a three-run lead. Right. Because he's going to give up two. Sizable. <laughs> and then and then when he stands there and looks for a signal, he, he like looks like a raptor because he brings both arms up like he's going to fly away. And I wish he would. I wish he'd fly away. He's starting to sound like Kevin. Oh, no, no. Look, I'm sorry. He's bad. <laughs> and, you know. I don't know, man. No trumpets for him. No trumpets for him. Well, no rest on your eardrums, guys, because uh, up next is the Hall of Fame. Jay Walker has his own induction of a song that, uh, frankly, is, um, you know, it's offensive. Yes, it is. Don't go anywhere. TTT coming your way next. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on the Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to 3, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It does go well with the chicken. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Terrible Tuesday. You've been warned. Jay Walker has a uh, Hall of Fame TTT induction today. The first song that was inducted into the TTT Hall of Fame by me was Friday by Rebecca Black. Now, the guy who produced that and stole her parents' money uh, also had another young girl that he stole the parents' money. And while Rebecca Black, to this day, I mean, she's got a following. She, she, she performs in clubs and stuff. You know the name Rebecca Black. Sure. Unlike Rebecca Black, this girl kind of disappeared. I mean, you can't, if you, if you Google her name, you'll find an Instagram account, but you can't tell if it's her or not. It could be somebody else with that name. But she hasn't recorded. She, hadn't, she did one other video called Shush Up, that was way too old for her. I mean, she, it, it, was, it was very uncomfortable to watch. 
But this one has a little girl. Very politically incorrect because the guy who did the producing, who made an appearance in Rebecca Black's Friday, also makes an appearance the here. The guy who took the money, you said. The guy who stole the money. Yeah, he uh, and and is very much kind of makes fun of Orientals uh, during during the thing. But we played this in maybe maybe the first year of TTT, probably so. Um, and we're and we're bringing it back now. I think she was 11 years old at the time this thing was done, maybe 12. Good Lord. But at any rate, here is, here is somebody we haven't heard from since. Little Allison Gold. And the song is Chinese Food. Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame.
Shame on you, making me have to listen to that. I had to watch that video just now. <laughs> I got I think when you played that, because I remember I heard of this. I remember people talking about it when it came out. I think you played it on a day where I wasn't here, maybe when Ryan Banowitz was in. Possibly. Because I have not, I don't think I've ever sat down and actually watched the video. Why would I? Jay, that's, that might be the most terrible of all TTTs. It's right up there. I mean, the song is bad in and of itself. And then you watch the video with it and it's like, oh my God. Yeah, I know. How insulting is that? It, it's, it is offensive. Yeah. But the song itself is horrible. And the girl's like 10 years old. I think she's 11 at the time. Yeah. I don't, I, I. Which means she's 20 now, because I think that was 2013 that that was done. You're sitting over, dude, she would, I'm not even making this up. You were over there lip singing the whole thing. Just How many chow, times have you listened the, to no, that just song? Just the chow main, chow, ma, 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 main. That's, that's the only part. She's over there dancing in his chair. Yeah, that was me singing dancing in my Chinese chair. food. You know that it's true. Oof, man. Our friend Steve would say that was some bad shaws. Bad shaws. I need. I need a. I need a break. This is awful. I got a baseball trivia question for you. Okay. Who's the best pitcher in terms of victories to never win the Cy Young Award? I don't know. Cy Young. Really. Well, in the end, he won because he got the award named after him. <laughs> yeah. He's remembered more than anybody else. Wait, didn't he, like, he has, like, unbreakable records, doesn't he? Well, he's got 511 wins. Like, how does how does he never win one? Because there was no such thing back then. Okay. But was it called something else at no. that point? No. Because, okay. you know, some people would be like, oh, this team never won a Super Bowl, but then they won championships or something. So they didn't. They didn't call it something else. They just created the award to honor him. That makes sense. Makes sense. Here's a former Dodger since Jay's all caught up on the Dodgers. Ron C., one game at a time. We're going to close the book on TTT. Well, I, but I'm happy to report he was playing for the Cubs when he did this. One game at a time. So he was still playing when he decided this was a good idea to record. Him and Terry Bradshaw should have done a duet back in the day. I know, right? Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues. We'll talk a little fall camp and the absurd votes in the preseason poll for college football. Jay, you better start warming up those windpipes because you're going to have to scream a little bit. It'll make sense when we come back. It's Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. One game at a time. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Take the field, hear the roar of 
Scott Show, Scott Prather, Jay Walker. Coach's poll came out yesterday, top uh-huh. 25. Louisiana got two votes. Uh-huh. LSU got 143. They are not in the top 25 to begin the preseason for the first time since 2000. A few people asked me if I was surprised. I said, no, not at all. I mean, the last time they began a season not in the top 25, they were coming off a losing season. Right. With a new coach. Thing is, when you're a team like LSU or Penn State or Iowa or Florida, you'll get the benefit of the doubt. You could start the season 2-0 and and 3-0 and over three teams that aren't great, and you'll maybe be in the top 25. Here's what was Texas at number 18 is kind of like they 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 don't you know they were 5 and 7 last year their quarterbacks never thrown a pass in college football like they probably shouldn't be in the top 25 but and they also got a first place vote that, that's where I'm going mm-hmm. I was looking for it's Texas but yeah that right there Jay one coach and by the way there's 65 coaches to get a vote Steve Sarkeesian is not one of them one coach in college football Gave Texas the number one overall vote. Texas, the most disappointing, underperforming team in the country. Is that fair to say? Yes. Texas, who somehow didn't have a single player drafted into the NFL draft last year. Texas, I I, I started trying to figure out who would do this. And then I was like, is it just some, like, troll? Like, would Mike Leach just do this to be funny? But, like, he doesn't care about Texas. Like, does Nick Saban have a vote? Is he saying, man, that rat poison, we're playing in week two. I want, I want, a, I want them to be ranked and, and have a number next to him because it'll help me with my team. That actually sounds like something Saban might do. All of these voters are anonymous. The only time they're revealed is for the last poll. And the last poll... Nobody remembers anyway. You remember who won the national championship, and then you remember where your team finished. And that's about it. Like you remember who was fifth last year or sixth? I don't. No. Who cares, right? You probably remember where UL finished, and you remember the Georgia finished number one. Like, having your vote made public for the last poll doesn't matter. Having it anonymous leads to shenanigans like this. Now, the preseason poll is already flawed for a number of reasons. But Texas at number one, Jay. It's Texas. Now, here's so here's my question. Does either Brett Venables or Jimbo Fisher vote in this poll? I'll have to look that up. Now, why would you mention the head coach of Oklahoma in Texas A&M? Well, I... I, I well, as Paul would say, well, it's common knowledge. <sighs> I don't have a list of all the coaches okay. that have a vote. All right. Um, I'm looking for it. I just know that Steve Sarkeesian is not one of them. Okay. I know that. Um, 
Let's see here. As far as Texas-based schools go, uh, Dana Dimel at UTEP, UTEP. Joey McGuire at Texas Tech, Jake Spavadol at Texas State, Jeff Trailer at UTSA. That's all. I, I don't. I don't have a, a list of the entire thing, but Jimbo Fisher was not in there, and this um, SI article is listing the coaches in Texas. So perhaps you can take him off of the list. Mm-hmm. If Saban has a vote, is it crazy to think that he wouldn't do something like this? No, I don't. I don't think he would. To, to be honest with you. So who would do something like this? I, I don't know. I don't know. This is wild, man. This is wild. Now, the preseason poll is always flawed, and, and a lot of people say it doesn't matter. It can matter for one or two teams, um, especially in the group of five, depending on where you start. If you run the table, another group of t- five team runs the table. Maybe you each lose a game. You're fighting for that New Year's six, which, as Coach Desimo said earlier this week, for a group of five team, that's kind of like a Super Bowl, right, a New Year's six bowl. Um, and – you know that that can impact that. So, you know, if you're if you're a team in a major conference with a big name, if you take care of your business, it'll usually sort itself out. Especially now that it's a four team playoff and not just two teams. But to say that it, it it has no impact for a few schools each year, it does. For most of the schools, it doesn't. They should probably wait until a month into the season. They've never done that, and they never will do that. The number next to the name helps sell rankings and, and all of that other stuff. I mean, it, it matters. Um, I just remind me, Jay, in January to pull up this poll again and we'll go back and look at how ridiculous it actually looks. Because there's going to be something in here that it, maybe it's Texas at 18. Maybe it's probably going to be Texas with a number one overall vote. But I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. Are you surprised that Cincinnati is all the way back at 22? No. You surprised that? I don't even think Cincinnati's going to win the American this year. I think Houston will. Well, Houston's ranked in the top 25 as well. Uh, they're just in there. Uh, Sunbelt, Mountain West, MAC, they don't have any teams. Sunbelt, App State got some votes. Um, Ten App, votes. App State, Coastal, and Louisiana. Coastal and Louisiana both got two. We mentioned the Cajuns earlier. Um Florida State got a single vote, top 25 poll. There you go. <sighs> Who is going to surprise this year in college football in your mind? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I'm, um, I, I don't know. Somebody's going to, okay? Somebody that, that we ain't talking about, you know, and it might be a team from the Mountain West. Uh, that just puts it all together. Um, it it might be, you know, and that's what I think of when I think teams that are going to surprise. I think of teams that are not in the P5. Like a San Diego State. Right. Or a Utah State or, you know, whoever. Fresno State. Yeah. Air Force. Um, so, I, I, you know, it might be it might be one of those. I don't know that it's going to be a Sunbelt team um, because... I don't think the Cajuns are going 13 and 1. Um Coastal Carolina lost a lot of people on defense. And I'm not I don't think App is as good as they were like maybe 2 years ago. 
So I don't think it'll be a Sunbelt team. Um, you know, maybe it's going to be Toledo out of the MAC. I, I, I just don't know. I think as well, like, for it to be an app or a Coastal or a Louisiana, you have to have a notable P5 victory. And, and I, I don't think the Cajun schedule or Coastal schedule allow. I mean, Coastal, I think, plays Virginia late in the season. And Virginia, you know, whatever. App does play A&M Week 2 on the road. Now, you do something like that, now everyone's paying attention. I don't think they're going to win that game for the record. So well, I don't think they're going to win that. And then, you know, okay. and week Florida State. And week one, App plays host to North Carolina. That game sold out at Kid Brewer Stadium. If they so, start two and zero, oh, if yes. they start if they start two and zero, oh, put them in the top ten. They will be in the top fifteen. Put them in the top ten. If they start zero oh and two, then everyone that covers the Sun Belt will follow them closely. But from a national standpoint, right. they will not have any kind of um, you know luster and cachet. But yeah, I think look, I think North Carolina's. I mean, North Carolina thinks going to be good this year, um, but they're playing at the Rock. I know. You win that, you build a little sizzle and hype for week two. And if you win that, then... Then then, then here we go. But you and I both don't think that's going to happen. No, we don't. And at the same time, you know, in this... In this look, let me tell you, if, if, if App State wins their first game, you think the national people aren't going to be talking about that A&M game? They'll build it up. They'll build it up as right. And then AM's playing Sam Houston. So, like, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get any feel for the Aggies in that game. A lot of people feel like the Aggies are, are, are overranked or too hyped or can Jimbo actually do it. I mean, I, I think AM's going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to be good, too. Here's I a, think they were a disappointment last year, to be honest. Big time. I expected them to be a lot better than they were. They beat Bama and got a lot of, you know washed away some of the dirt that had kind of sullied on them for last year. And I don't want to say that everyone forgot that they underperformed, but when you beat Bama in a big game like that, and then Jimbo and Nick start acting like, you know, mean girls in the offseason, it kind of helps people forget about how disappointing overall their season was last year. Mm-hmm. Pitt. I know, they're, I know they're in a power five. I know they won the ACC last year. But Kenny Pickett's gone. Best receiver in the country left for the highest bidder. His words, not mine. They're being overlooked. Their defense is really good. Clemson has a quarterback issue, I think. Maybe. Maybe. I'm wondering if the best team in the ACC isn't North Carolina State. You think so? I, I think they might be. I I, I think the, the, the ACC, I think once again is a very blah league this year. Wake Forest is ranked. Look 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 out for Pitt. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Look at that's the team I think is going to surprise. I know they're ranked 16th, but they they could potentially well, win the table. You know, you got the backyard brawl to open the season. Been 10 Pitt, years. Pitt and West Virginia hadn't played in 10 years. That used to be one of the great rivalries in college football. Yep. One of the great ones. Uh, UL Fall Camp, talked to Coach Desimo last week, had Ben Walrich and Chandler Fields, talked to them. Uh, that was on the show Friday. A number of other interviews I did, we'll, we'll play throughout the week. But, you know, you and I talked about it, O-line, talking to Carlos Rubio, talking to A.J. Gilly, 
Talking to the quarterbacks, they all seem pretty confident in the old line. And I, I, I look, I don't think the old line's going to be terrible. Okay, I don't think, I don't think they will be. I, you know, you've got three guys on the offensive line that have started games for the Cajuns. All right, that Rubio, AJ Gilly, and David Hudson. You also have been recruiting offensive linemen that have gotten a chance to get snaps here and there. My concern about the offensive line is can they stay healthy? Because I don't think they can avoid, uh, I don't don't think they can handle too many injuries up front. If they stay healthy and the eight guys that Mike likes can play, okay, I think think they'll be all right. You know, I don't think they're going to be bad on the offensive line. Because there's talent there. It's just the... I, the way I explained it to him was, listen, I'm not at all the summer workouts. I just have a sheet of paper, and like anybody, I can say, okay, I've seen this person play. They have experience here. They have experience here. And so naturally, we look at a unit, and we're like, question mark. We're not saying pass or fail. We're not saying good or bad. We're just saying question mark. You know, how do you answer that question about the O-line? And they all, I mean, what are, first of all, they're not going to say, well, you know, we have work to do. I mean, they all said really positive things, but you can you can read body language a little bit, especially when it's not, especially when it's a a young man that's you know the quarterback and you know is if you do this long enough, sometimes you can read between the lines. Like they're maybe we're more concerned about it than they are. I'll say that maybe. I I think that's I think that's fair. I wonder who's going to start week one. You know, at quarterback. You know, during the summer, they they have uh, they divide. They have like eight team captains, and they go ahead and they do a draft, having to do with summer workouts. And you know, you get points for doing certain things, and then you get negative points for maybe not doing the right thing. And and they do that for you know, I don't know, six weeks, I guess. When they drafted the teams, Ben Woolridge and Chandler Fields went in the top five. Woolridge went number one. The year before, Fields went number one. My point here is, whoever wins that job is going to have the respect of the team. I did an interview with Andre Jones at media day and I kind of got just based on one little thing he said, and I can't remember exactly what it was that he was, he was kind of all in on Woolridge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that I think Chandler Fields is going to take the first snap in the first game, but I don't know that. You know, uh, one thing that we do not know is we do not know exactly what the Cajun offense is going to look like. Because changes are being made from what they've been doing under Billy Napier. And so the question is going to be is, which quarterback is best suited to run the offense that the Cajuns are going to run in 2022? And part of what makes that difficult is they have a very similar skill set. 
They do. And Coach Leger, the office coordinator, said it would almost be easier if their skill sets were different in terms of this decision. You know, I asked him, what are some differences? He said, Woolrich may be a little quicker on his feet. The ball comes out of field's hand a little bit faster. But overall, these are very small. Like, there really isn't a big thing. He said, look, for Levi, you had... He was quick on his feet. He could do some things. He could move around. He said those guys may not be as strong in that area. There's some strong in other areas. We have a lot of depth to receiver. And so, yeah, they're, you know, hello, maybe throwing it a little more, right? I just, I'm with you. That's a great point, Jay. Don't know yet what that offense is going to look like. But I would say it's a safe bet to say they're going to play to the strength of the quarterback position and what that quarterback does well. We will know in about 13 days because Coach Desermo told me we want this at the end of camp. We're not going to, we don't want to drag this thing up to the day before the game and then we release a depth chart. You know, no. The players deserve to know. The guys deserve to know. We, we, we need it. August 22nd, two weeks from yesterday. Great to see you, Jay. Good to see you too, brother. Don't go anywhere. Dan Patrick shows next. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.